0: Pressure. Hello, this is Mike Levin and this is Swampcast. It is Thursday, November 16th, 2006, and today we are talking with Brian Vibber of Wikipedia. Hey, Brian, how are you?
1: I'm doing pretty good. How are you?
0: I am doing just fine. doing just fine. Well, Brian is the chief architect for Wikipedia, and today we are going to talk about the inner workings of one of the most popular websites out there. Uh, okay, so with that with that intro <laughs> <laughs> um, it's about it's about noon here, and I am down in the swamp uh, in uh, actually in Gainesville. Uh, Florida, right now, home of the 17th largest university in the United States, University of Florida. And Brian, uh, you are in
1: Sweden? Uh, Yes, at the moment I'm up in chilly, dark, and rainy Stockholm and very much looking forward to getting back home to California next week where it's warm and sunny.
0: Oh, okay. So you're originally, are you originally American? Uh, Yes, I'm American. Okay, all right. well cool. And it's probably sunset there now. Yep, it's very dark. Okay. So up north here, yeah. Yeah. Well, where do we begin? Um I guess I guess we could begin at the beginning and um, talk about uh well, what about you? I mean you're you're basically a developer before being chief chief architect uh-huh. of, of Wikipedia. But why don't, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself?
1: Uh well I've been doing bits of open source development for uh, several years. Uh, I guess the... maybe not the usual software developer background. Uh, I went to uh, USC Film School for a few years, kind of dropped out of that, ended up uh, doing this wacky Wikipedia stuff. Ah, cool. Uh, I first got into Wikipedia actually uh, through the Esperanto language edition which was sort of a a fun little experiment. Now,
0: brief me, what is is Esperanto?
1: Uh, Esperanto is a uh, language that was created in the 19th century um, sort of as a semi-utopian ideal of a common language that all the people of the world could use to communicate without having to uh, learn someone else's native language and thus be on an equal footing. Uh, So it's A very interesting idea, which I think has some parallels to uh, maybe a little open-source idealism, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's also just a lot of fun to play with if you like languages. Mm -hmm. There's still a living, breathing community um, of it, and it has a a fairly active presence on the net, including uh, a Wikipedia edition. Oh, wow. So I got into Wikipedia through there, uh, discovered that there wasn't very good support for languages other than English. There was, at the time, uh, no support for Unicode characters. Mm-hmm. So um, this was kind of annoying for Esperanto, but it's really annoying for, say, Russian or Japanese or Chinese mm-hmm. or um, Hebrew or Arabic, where you've also got the right-to-left issues. Right. So I started then helping with the software, uh, adding Unicode support and uh, localization and fun things of that sort. And uh, then over a couple of years, I ended up being... Uh, the person who had been involved with the software for the longest and uh, <laughs> de facto took over. Great, great. Well, what
0: um, what did the original architecture look like when, when you first
1: started? Uh, Wikipedia was first started in January 2001. And at the time, uh, it was running a existing uh, wiki software called UseModWiki. And um, which uh, had been around for a couple of years, and is written in Perl. Um, it's relatively simple, and it's actually a single Perl script in one big file. So it's relatively easy to set up if you have a server with you know Perl and CGI and whatnot. Right. And it just uses the file system. It doesn't use a database. So it was very easy to get going. But as the system grew and grew, um, it really couldn't handle the load. Um, Both the additional demands of functional features that people wanted, enhanced search, uh, being able to see what pages link to each other, various things like that where you really want uh, the kind of exploratory power that a relational database can give, uh, and also simply being able to um, insert and remove items without really ugly file system locks, which Mm. the old system used. So, uh, in I believe late 2001, early 2002, um, a new specialized software was written for Wikipedia by uh, a a German fellow who was involved named uh, Magnus Manske. And he chose to use PHP, which is reasonably common on the web for web programming and a MySQL uh, database backend mm-hmm. for storage. Uh, so that first came on in, online in, in early 2002 and mostly worked and then sort of collapsed under the load and then all the problems got fixed and then over the months uh, that got reworked and improved and then the sort of rewritten successor of that uh, we have been continuing to use ever since. Okay, so we
0: started out with the, um, the original wiki, one file. What was that called again?
1: Uh, Use Mod Wiki. Use Mod And wiki. I believe it, it's still out there. Okay. And it's, it's, it's not too bad for a
0: small site. Then we went to PHP, and, mm-hmm. and beyond that, um, I guess... At that stage, you probably started changing the, the hardware configuration, too. Oh, yes. So, uh, originally, you know, I'm sure you were using one server. And uh, and no redundancy, that sort of thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, yes. It uh, uh Originally, um, in the very early days, when dinosaurs roamed the Earth... Uh, <laughs> Wikipedia was just one of many sites uh, sharing a server with... Um, y- you seem to be cutting it out, should I? Oh, really? Is, is okay. it? I don't know. Maybe it's just the feedback is cutting out. Okay, hold on. I'll pause. I guess it's just you then. Okay. So I guess we'll continue. Yep. Okay. Uh, what was the last question again?
0: Uh, the hardware configuration and originally using one server, I bet...
1: Uh, Yes, originally Wikipedia, back in the olden days when dinosaurs ruled the earth was just one of many sites uh, run on shared servers for uh, that that were used by the company uh, that the founder of Wikipedia ran which was uh, bombus.com and they ran little uh, search portals and those silly sorts web 1.0 things that were fashionable back in the day. Right. And um, originally, you know, that that was okay. The site was pretty small, actually. Uh, and it was just a, a small, small thing taking up a little tiny corner of the server. Uh, so that obviously didn't last. Uh, after the first year, we had something like 10,000, 15,000 pages Uh, After a couple more years, we were in the hundreds of thousands of pages and very much needed our own servers. Uh, Somewhere in the 2002-2003 range, we got our own machine, and then we had two machines, and then we had our own database server, and then we had eight machines, and then it sort of snowballed up from there as the uh, load on the site continued to grow and grow and grow. Well, let me stop uh, you
0: there and, and ask you a quick yeah. question. Okay. So when you made that transition from one server to two servers, <laughs> I know I know lots of folks out there are interested in, in making that transition as their dream comes true and their, their website becomes more and more popular. Uh, what did that entail?
1: Well, the simplest thing, uh, which I believe we started with, was to... Separate the database server uh, from the web server. Okay. Uh, and that is very easy to do because the, the, those two parts are, you know, basically separate. You have, you know, your MySQL or whatever, and that runs, and then you have your web server with PHP and the uh, image files on a file system or whatever. And that's a separate server, and they communicate over the network. And that's really easy to do. Uh, and then sort of the next step from there going from two machines to three machines that's actually where things suddenly become very tricky mm-hmm. because you've been up to this time assuming that everything runs on one server you have a local file system you have maybe local shared memory or something and uh, and that's it mm-hmm. and suddenly now you have two web servers and they have to share their data um, So obviously, since you're using a database system, that part is easy. They talk to the same database. But you also probably have files on the file system. You have the mysterious session management in uh, your web framework, which in the case of PHP, is usually using files on the hard disk. Mm -hmm. So if those files are on the local hard disk, suddenly you have two different machines that people might be going to, which have a different idea of who's logged in. Mm And uh, that becomes very adventurous and exciting when you don't really know what you're doing because you're new at the exciting three-server <laughs> thing. <laughs> right.
0: So so what, what, what did you arrive at? I guess in, the, in that configuration, you had, um, let's say we had three three uh, servers, and we had MySQL, mm-hmm. and we had PHP, and we had the session management that was looking for files on the the, the server that the web server being accessed resided on. Um, So how did you tell that that web server, uh, hey, these files may be someplace
1: (laughs) else, or et cetera, et cetera? Well, the good news is that uh, there are networked file systems. So you can uh, take your images and things like that and stick them on an NFS server and then share that between the two machines, and that generally works for the most part, although it's really not something you want to do for uh, lock files and things like that, because sometimes NFS is kind of funny, or NFS is kind of slow, and uh, sometimes things get confused. Mm -hmm. So what we first did was to use the, um, the shared network file system for uploaded images, because we store images in the file system, because they're, they're relatively big compared to text pages, so we didn't mm-hmm. really want to put those in the database. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually still do that to this day. It works reasonably well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other issue is the session data. Uh, and one thing you can do is put that in your database, although that maybe adds a lot of churn to your database, so you maybe don't want to do that. Uh, And then you have a couple other opportunities, which is to use the file system, the the network file system for those, which we experimented with but weren't really happy with it because it then added a bunch of load to the network file system. Um, So in the the end, what we did for sessions was to uh, add another little server layer, which is uh, memcached, which is a very handy little, absolutely simple, dirt simple in-memory object caching daemon, which was created by the fine folks at LiveJournal, and they use it extensively, and we use it for various things. Uh, And that's a simple way to store, you know, arbitrary blob data, whatever it is. Nothing very complicated, no fancy queries. You just shove data in and take it out and then you have uh, some number of those sitting on your network, and all of your servers can put data in and take it back out. And we use that for session data, but also for a lot of miscellaneous caching. So if you uh, you know, have to transform a page in your markup format into HTML, then you can go ahead and store that in the uh, Memcached data space instead of on a, disk, uh, uh, on a disk which is relatively slow. Okay. And, uh, you, know, you don't need to keep that around for a long time. It stays in memory, it's fast, it's accessible. And okay. that's uh, pretty handy for us.
0: So, we've, we've evolved from one server to a couple of servers and then to three plus servers. Uh, once you arrived at that point and Wikipedia went wild mm-hmm. and became hugely popular, Um, Where where did you go from there?
1: Well, the next step from there is to add a little redundancy on your database, Mm -hmm. uh, which we learned the hard way in, uh, I believe it was December 2003. Uh, This was when we had three machines, and three machines was kind of enough at the time. Uh, But what we basically had was two web servers and a database as we've just been talking about. And the database died. Uh, so that's kind of bad. You really <laughs> don't want that to happen. Especially right around the Christmas holiday. No one's available. No one can do anything. It was it was a lot of exciting drama. Right. But eventually we got that fixed, got a new machine, got everything back online. Uh, but one of the things that we very much did once uh, a couple months later we expanded to have additional servers was to start using database replication, which allowed us to have, instead of just one database server, which is extremely vulnerable and uh, can become a bottleneck if it's a performance problem, is we have arbitrarily many database servers where you have uh, one master, which is your primary database. You make all your changes to it, and you uh, can read the absolute canonical data uh, out of it, and then you have some number of slave servers which pull updates from the master, and you can then, well, you you can do two main things which are very helpful. One of which is you can pull data from the slaves instead of from the master if it is not time critical. Because if you just want to load up some web page it doesn't necessarily have to be up to the millisecond right. accurate. Right. So you can pull from a slave that might be a quarter second behind. Right. Uh, and usually that's okay. Uh, so maybe if you're running a, a an interactive site such as Wikipedia that any page may be edited at any time, you grab a little bit of page data out of the master that says this page was updated at such and such time. And then you pull the majority of data out of a slave, that, so that you know that you are grabbing the correct version out of the data, uh, of the data, but you're not loading down that central database. Right. Uh, and then the other thing which can be even more important, even if you don't have a load problem, is that it's a live backup. Mm. Uh, if your main database dies, then you can fill around your configuration and start using one of those slave servers as your new master. Uh, and some systems uh, can automate that more or less. And we generally have it kind of manually done, which means it may take a few minutes to do it, but it's uh, generally okay for us, at least, because we're not you know, losing money on processing orders or something. Right. Uh, so a few minutes is okay.
0: So at this stage, we've moved to three plus servers... We've moved to uh, replicated databases, mm-hmm. and uh, we've got our new wiki that we're using. Uh, I'm trying to draw a picture of this in my mind uh, <laughs> as, as, we, as we go along. And this is about Christmas 2003 or so? Uh,
1: yeah, from around Christmas 2003 was when we had our, our very exciting uh, three-server downtime. <laughs> and around February, we expanded to, uh, I think, about eight machines Fun to the back and laugh. Which was in our new uh, data center in Florida. Ah. Uh, So we we were also uh, moving resources because uh, Jimmy Wales, the uh, founder of the the Wikipedia, was himself moving over there and uh, also moving parts of his company. So we were hosted kind of along with them, so our servers went with. Okay. So in our our new database center, we moved all the stuff over. We had... New machines. We had uh, you know one main database and a couple of slave databases and a file server and uh, four or five um, web servers as uh-huh. front ends. So this was very exciting, cutting edge to us uh, all, kind of fiddling around, not entirely knowing what we were doing, but. Somehow it managed to work. Well, you know, I just
0: realized we've talked about all these esoteric, uh, you know, caching and replication and all this stuff, but we haven't even <laughs> talked about what kind of servers you're using, what kind of operating system you you started out with and maybe evolved into, etc.
1: Uh, we have been running pretty much everything on Linux servers. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, I think we ran some version of Red Hat, uh, and then most of the servers got upgraded to Fedora, and then we've been churning through different versions of Fedora as they come out and then getting fed up that we have three or four versions of Fedora running. Mm -hmm. Uh, Currently, we're in the process of migrating to uh, Ubuntu, uh, the server version with long-term support option. Uh Uh, And that's rather nice uh, in that it's A, relatively up-to-date, B, doesn't move too fast uh, as far as obsoleting older versions, and see the installer is reasonably automatable, uh, insofar as we now, for some of our systems, have an automated deployment, uh, which is much nicer than the ad hoc stuff we were doing before. Okay. And well, you can we, probably we, we do all all that same stuff with the Red Hat, but that was just you know you got to pick something.
0: Well, yeah, that y- y- you kind of uh, almost answered my question there. We kind of we try to <laughs> we
1: try to stay away from vendor
0: specific stuff here, but I'm interested in what your decision process and criteria was moving from Red Hat to Fedora to Ubuntu, uh, just uh, let's say from a, a purely functional standpoint, for the benefit of people who are considering those those three types and, and other types of uh, Linux distributions.
1: Uh, part of it was simply familiarity of the uh, the guys who were working on the uh automatic installation configuration. Okay. We're more familiar with the sort of Debian Ubuntu side of things than the Red Hat side of things. Right. Uh, and part of it is has been our existing frustration with Fedora's churn and the uh, not having, for instance, security updates past a few months mm-hmm. uh, is very frustrating because then you have some critical server that you don't want to upgrade that there's no... Security upgrades, and that's you know kind of a non-fun situation, but right. that's you know right. our fault for going Fedora instead of uh, better-supported variant of Red Hat, which is right. also right. exists out there. Okay.
0: All right. So, and the servers, um, mm-hmm. we're we're talking generic things that you put together yourself, or
1: um, uh, we're using. Well, I guess uh, at that, at yeah, that point. V- various uh, x86, mostly actually X- <laughs> a- x86-64 now, mm-hmm. uh, although some of our older machines were 32-bit. Um, we've used a variety of vendors, um, mostly from uh, some local uh, reasonably good uh, uh, white box vendor, right. uh, and then a few from... Sun or I think some are HP somewhere. Okay. Uh, but basically, it, it's commodity 64-bit x86 hardware. Okay. So we're not too tied to any particular uh, hardware distributor, which is very nice.
0: And then programming languages. Now we've we've mentioned mm-hmm. Perl and we've mentioned PHP. And the
1: original wiki, I
0: think you said was was written in Perl.
1: Yeah, the old software was Perl. Yeah. Our uh, our, our main software, which is MediaWiki, mm-hmm. uh, which was the the current incarnation of the uh, PHP-based wiki software that was created for Wikipedia, right. is written in PHP. Uh, we also have some uh, plugin modules for PHP written in C++, which uh, we use to speed up a few operations. Hmm. Uh, and then we have uh, various little administration tools written in all kinds of horrible languages. Uh, some mishmash of uh, Bash, Python, uh, OCaml, God knows what else. Right. Uh, and currently our search engine is using a C-sharp port of uh, Apache Lucene as the search engine. Okay. And uh, that's using the Mono virtual machine. Okay.
0: All right, now let's... let's um, I'm looking at the clock here and i want to i want to try to cover as much as we can in this first session. maybe we can talk yeah. again and and um sure and, and move into some uh individual sections but um let's uh let's let's look at the front end the front end of uh Wikipedia um, yeah. and how you manage that the GUI
1: Hmm. how do we manage it uh by writing a lot of ugly code <laughs> and then getting screamed at when it looks funny. Uh, yeah. Uh, the uh, All the user interface text uh, in MediaWiki is um, set up to be customizable and localizable uh, by end users as well as from the development team side of things. Uh, so that... Um, lends a, a pretty good amount of customizability for uh, the you know the little messages that come up when you try to log in or there's an error or uh, you have a permission denied or you're blocked or whatever sort of thing. Um, so there's uh, you know, we, we have some defaults that we write when we create the feature or whatever and then it gets customized to high heaven by the, the wonderful folks at Wikipedia. Uh, which is very exciting. Uh, and then on top of that, we also have a, uh, a pretty flexible way of allowing the site administrators who may or may not have anything to do with us programming folks to uh, customize both the style sheets and uh, additional JavaScript code for the user interface. So uh, we have a lot of uh, power users Uh, and uh, people who hopefully know JavaScript pretty well who put together uh, exciting additional features which they'll add um, onto the user interface. Um, And we have both the the site-wide things that appear for everyone which are written hopefully by someone fairly responsible Mm -hmm. and uh, the ability for any user to customize their Mm -hmm. own user interface. So you can add your JavaScript code, or whatever scary little things you create, uh, and that gets loaded up uh, in your JavaScript when you visit the site in your own account.
0: Right.
1: And um, there are, for instance, uh, extensions for for some web browsers, like the GreaseMonkey extension for Firefox, which allow you to do this for any site. But that obviously only works if you, A, have Firefox, B, have the Greasemonkey extension, and C, can figure out how the heck to make it work. Right, right. I've just been looking at that, actually. (laughs) But if you do get into Greasemonkey, it's it's a lot of fun. You can tweak little things that are slightly broken in your browser or are just annoying or whatever. Uh, But by building this, to build directly into the software, uh, we allow... uh, Power users to greatly customize and enhance their own user interface mm-hmm. personally, and also making those scripts available to other users who maybe aren't so JavaScript savvy themselves to uh, copy it in and poof, now they also have that cool new feature. Right.
0: Okay. Well, well. Uh, before we leave the GUI, let's just step back. I mean, the the GUI development. I know you've got uh, a one page homepage when you go to Wikipedia. So your developers, um, do they? How, how do they develop? How, how do the HTML <laughs> guys and the front-end guys do it?
1: Um, gosh, I don't even know how to answer that. Uh, with a text <laughs> editor and a lot of sweat, I okay. don't know. Okay, <laughs> all right, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Well, let's
0: talk, well, okay, have you got more to say about that, or should we just walk away from that? I, I'm
1: not sure what you're asking exactly.
0: Uh, you know, some people use Dreamweaver, and some people yeah, use... Yeah, uh,
1: okay.
0: You know, some people use BI, and some people
1: use... <laughs> um, uh. Well, uh, d- different people use their their own preferred development tools. Okay. Uh, personally, I do most of my programming using BBEdit, uh, which is a fairly popular programming editor for uh, Macintosh. Right. Uh, I know another guy uses... TextMate, uh, which is an alternative, uh, and then there's there's all kinds of horrible things on Windows which I dare not even touch. Uh, I think a couple of people actually use Eclipse, uh, which you know, is, is not just for Java. You can uh, abuse it for all kinds of purposes. Right, right, okay.
0: All right, all right. So let's let's move away from that and let's look at the uh, let's look at what we have today. Since we're about yeah. a half an hour into this. Um, now, I imagine you are massively distributed across continents and, and that sort of thing. So let's talk about oh, hardware yes. and network and, and that sort of thing.
1: Uh, well, our networks today, are um, our, our wonderful, exciting network of clusters, uh, our primary set of servers is in uh, Tampa, Florida, uh, where we have, goodness gracious, what is it, 150, 200? some absurd number of servers uh, of various sorts sitting around in uh, a few racks in a data center. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then we have additional uh, uh, clusters and data centers in uh, Amsterdam in the the Netherlands, another difficult country name, and uh, Seoul, South Korea. Uh, And these are primarily caching proxy servers, which... uh, do two things. They speed up access for people in Europe and Asia who are not logged in, and therefore can uh, see cached pages very conveniently, and B, they cut down a lot of our core bandwidth uh, because we're serving uh, I believe something like 1.2 gigabits, plus or minus some horrible amount, uh per second out of uh Tampa and that's mm-hmm. that's a fair amount and uh we do actually have to pay for that so that's that's real money to us right so uh taking serving one point two serving one point two gigabits per what unit time per second
0: oh wow okay
1: yeah so uh uh taking a large chunk of that oh. and uh not having to serve it from Tampa is very convenient. Mm -hmm. So we have um, the Korean server uh, takes out a a chunk of our bandwidth going to Asia, and that's uh, provided to us by the kind folks at Yahoo. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Amsterdam set is uh, provided to us by the kind folks at uh, Kennisnet in the Netherlands. And that is a a super helpful thing to us. And then our main core servers are all in Tampa, where we have the databases. Uh, We have uh, two big database servers, one that serves English Wikipedia, and the other serves pretty much everything else. And then we also have a distributed set of um, text storage nodes, which store the actual uh, all the text, uh, every version of every page on Wikipedia, which is several million pages. Uh, I'm not sure the exact number, but last I checked, it was something like 20 or 30 million page revisions. It might actually be like twice that now. <laughs> I haven't checked, but it's a lot. And then a lot of web servers.
0: And the uh, database that you're using?
1: Uh, we're using MySQL. Okay. okay. Uh, currently, we're actually still using MySQL 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't yet taken the plunge of upgrading to 5, uh, although there are, are some nice conveniences to it. Uh, one of the things that's holding us back is that one of the things we hoped to do was to use the Unicode support in MySQL 5, but unfortunately it's actually incomplete mm-hmm. and does not support uh, complete UTF-8. Okay. So we have the horrible choice of figuring out how to work around that or uh, waiting until they fix it Uh, and we we may in the end end up trying to find a workaround which uh, hopefully we can Okay, so we've got Seoul, Korea, we've
0: got um, Amsterdam, we've got Tampa right down the street here in the swamp Um, and we've got replicated databases we're still using MySQL any other things to say about the current uh, architecture? Well, uh,
1: <laughs> <Good question. laughs> in general, we have uh, several directions of scalability in the situation, or in the the in the the layout of uh, of how things work, um, which is we have some horizontal scalability in uh, a number of places, especially the web servers, uh, in that we can simply add arbitrarily many uh, web servers running Apache and PHP. Uh, You just plunk in a couple more machines on the network, uh, install the software, put them into the uh, Linux virtual server load balancing cluster, and... Bam! They start serving data. Okay, so we haven't—I haven't asked you about the web server that uh, you mentioned. <laughs> you. Jumping mm-hmm. the gun here. Uh, yes, we're uh, using Apache as the web server uh, for most, sing- most things. Uh, we're also using uh, LightHTB, okay, which is a lightweight, uh, high-speed web server for uh, the uploaded image server. Uh, we have those then on a a separate uh, mini cluster of a couple of machines that just churn out nothing but images. Uh, so that's all very exciting. So you guys are the
0: open source gurus now. You know there's there's <laughs> still much. A, there is a lot of controversy out there about whether to use open source or not. And you you're obviously you know very sold on it. So what would you say to people that are that are considering considering that?
1: Well, open source has uh, certainly been great for us. Uh, from a well, from a purely financial point of view, obviously we've benefited quite a bit from not having to uh, pay for you know big site licenses or whatever. We can just uh, grab the software and. and Roll that out as much as needed. From a uh, development and, and bug fixing sort of point of view, uh, it's been very good for us. Uh, we have um, helped uh, a bit with uh, being able to find and fix bugs in PHP, in uh, MySQL, in Squid, uh, which is the caching proxy that we use mm-hmm. to uh, reduce load on the web servers. Um, Actually, a lot of our customizations to Squid have been rolled back into uh, the recent release of Squid 2.6. And uh, so now we don't have to have nearly as many of our uh, custom fixes patched into uh, the release when we install. That's very convenient for us. And, of course, our own software we uh, release as open source. MediaWiki is... uh, released under the GPL, version 2, and is free for anybody to use. And uh, It's easier for us to work in the open than to try to keep it secret. We get more people helping, uh, both directly uh, involved for Wikipedia and uh, the occasional exciting bug fixer new feature created by somebody else using the side, or, or the software for their own side. Uh, people use MediaWiki both for... Uh, internal corporate wikis, uh, other big public sites similar to Wikipedia. For instance, Wiki Travel is based on uh, on MediaWiki. Uh, Mozilla's um, developer site is based on MediaWiki. Uh, various other, both public and private, sites use it, and that, that benefits us. And that's super. Uh, additionally, of course, we ideologically. Uh, have great affinity with open source being an open content site at Wikipedia. Uh, so we have a pretty firm commitment to use open source as much as possible, and we've pretty much not used much, if any, non-open source stuff. So there's, there's a lot of great stuff out there, and we don't really have to go to the dark side to get... Uh, uh, useful software that both benefits us directly and then allows the work that we're doing to be disseminated and reproduced by others, which is part of our goal.
0: Okay, so I, I kind of interrupted you there, uh, Brian, as you were talking <laughs> about the, the, the horizontal uh, oh, horizontal scalability, I think, is what you were talking about before we mm, segued yeah. into uh, into the o- open source
1: Yes. Uh, The exciting world of scalability. So on a uh, web system such as ours, uh, there are a number of places where you want to be able to scale as uh, you get more and more people using your website because they decide it's the coolest thing ever, which obviously we agree with because it is pretty darn cool. Uh, The... A uh, very simple way to horizontally scale your web servers uh, if you're doing something like PHP is uh, once you've gotten past that one web server to two web servers hurdle, uh, it becomes relatively easy to add just as many as you want. And then you have some magic load balancer that divides the load among them. And uh, you can just add more and more and more to it, and they uh, accept requests as they come in and handle as much additional load as you can uh, throw at them. If you have enough money or kind of donating people to get you the service you need, at least. Uh, of course, to do that, you want to have some sort of load balancing system, um, and what we use is uh, Linux Virtual Server, which is a uh, little tweak for the Linux kernel, which. Um, basically accepts uh, incoming network connections on a uh, master machine and then sends them out to uh, various uh, other servers on the local network, which are uh, in a list of machines which are available. Um, And then in addition to that actual master node, you also need some sort of monitoring system to check if those servers are alive. Uh, because, unfortunately, one fun side effect is if a server is listed in the, in the virtual server table, but it's not actually working, then uh, it, it becomes a horrible black hole that uh, sucks up all requests because that machine has no load on it. So, obviously, we should start sending requests to it. Oh. So you won't uh, need to have some little thing that says, no, wait, that, that server is not actually working at all. We need to take it out of the table. Or, oh, the server's come back online. Let's put it back in the table, and it accepts load. And um, I'm not actually sure what we're using at the moment. We have gone through a couple of different versions. Uh, But we've got some exciting little code that does that. Uh, Okay. You can also use uh, uh, user space um, load balancers such as... uh, Pearl Ball, which is another uh, journal invention, I believe. Or uh, we have a, a custom one kind of based on it called PyBall, which is written in Python. Uh, or all kinds of other exciting possibilities. Okay. But there's, there's millions of those. You just got to pick one that fits wh- with your needs and you stick with it. Right. Uh, then, of course, the Additional thing you can do is to stop uh, actually having to serve so many requests, which is to add another layer vertically. Uh, So you start with the caching proxies, which uh, has been hugely beneficial to us. Um, The vast majority of our requests, I think something like 85%, 85 80-85% are served by our caching squid proxies. Uh, so then when a uh, page is requested by someone who's not logged in and therefore has no customizations, they're not editing, there's no need to check if they're blocked, etc., etc., then the generic page layout is written out and served and then cached by the caching proxy servers. And then if somebody else requests the same page, uh, the proxy server's serve out that cached page mm-hmm. uh, so that means that the requests don't have to hit the back end servers which are running this big lumbering Apache and PHP lump which eats you know untold megabytes per uh, process so you don't really want to send too many unnecessary requests to them when you're serving uh, 10 or 20,000 requests per second that's you you want to be able to cut out the unnecessary ones. Uh, And then additionally, of course, if you have multiple sites such as ours, um, then those cache pages don't actually have to go all the way over to Tampa. They can stop in Amsterdam or in Korea. So not only do they go back to the original person faster, but uh, that page doesn't have to go through our network in Tampa. So it also saves us money. Okay. Okay, so let's let's talk just a little bit about software
0: development life cycle and mm-hmm. methodology. Um, I guess, you know, at first you guys were just one or two people. Now you've got lots or several people. don't know how many people you've got involved. <laughs> but um, when you're talking about adding a new feature, um, do you have a methodology? I mean, would you call it agile or would you call it uh, one thing or another? I know this is a, a mature... Um, application at this stage but uh, what's your methodology how do you test
1: that sort of thing Uh, well we have currently um, two hired software developers uh, which is myself and uh, Tim Starling in Australia and we've both been uh, working uh, on the software for several years as volunteers before uh, we came on full time to do nothing but Wikipedia work. Uh, And then we have uh, several additional uh, volunteers and people working on other things uh, part-time. One might attempt to call our development model Agile. Uh, I don't know just how Agile it is, but but we try. we are a very distributed team. Uh, we meet a couple of times a year at conferences, but uh, mostly we work over the internet. Uh, people in various time zones on various continents, mostly uh, IRC and email communication. Okay. So we have a uh, shared source code repository. We have uh, we're using Subversion since uh, since April of this year. Okay. Uh, before that, we used CVS, uh, which is dreadful. Um, And currently we're doing a uh, sort of continuous integration model, quote unquote, with quarterly snapshot releases of uh, the software for public reuse. Although, uh, since we're working in public and open source, of course anyone can pull our current development trunk at any time and run the software the same as we do. Mm -hmm. So we're making our bug fixes and our little incremental improvements and adding new features and whatnot and then as soon as they're ready we are able to take them live on Wikipedia which is a uh, pretty convenient way to think to do things as long as of course you don't break it too bad <laughs> so we uh, uh, we, s- we certainly try not to break things too bad and um, so we've been trying to improve our testing procedures both uh, the sort of human testing of, uh, you know, do some smoke tests when you make a change, try all the things and make sure it works, and uh, automated tests. Um, The primary automated test that we have today is a parser test suite, uh, which it tests the uh, wiki markup to HTML converter, which is uh, very much the core of the wiki system, when you type all your your scary little markup into the edit window, and then you click save, and it comes back, and hopefully it makes some kind of sense. Mm-hmm. Because if it uh, breaks all the cute little tables and and templates and all kinds of scary scary things, people on Wikipedia will uh, happily invent if we let them. Uh, then they get mad at us because we broke their stuff, and 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 then we feel really bad, and we have to fix it. So we don't want to do that, obviously. We, we work. So we have a uh, test suite with several hundred tests of uh, little bits of markup and then the expected output. And then that uh, runs on an automated cycle every day. So if we broke something, then we know about it, uh, hopefully relatively quickly. Uh, we also have some other unit tests, which unfortunately have not been maintained. So they're kind of broken. So uh, if there's some enterprising volunteer who wants to help get those back in shape, that would be super. Oh, but, so uh, <laughs> that's a... That's a <laughs> but we, we hope to continue improving uh, our automated testing in the future. Okay. So you're looking for a testing guy. <laughs> and we, we would love a, a few extra testing guys. That would help. Okay.
0: Well, that, uh, speaking of people, what sorts of uh, people problems, and this is one from Bruce Heckle, by the way, hmm. uh, what sorts of people problems have you encountered along the way?
1: Uh, Well, I guess the primary one is simply a problem that actually a lot of open source projects have, which is uh, not enough people. Okay. Uh, I mean, you will get some number of people coming in and reporting bugs or tossing in a patch or whatever, and they don't always stick around. So figuring out how to get more of those people to stick around is a... uh, an issue that many projects have to face.
0: What do you say to people that are that are interested in contributing to open source projects, but they feel like they're too new or too young or too immature, don't know enough about it?
1: Well, one thing is to just show them our code and, and say, look, we wrote this and we had no idea what the hell we were doing, so why can't <laughs> you? But uh, that maybe just scares them off sometimes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. But I uh, mean, uh, when you already have a large, relatively mature application, saying, "Oh, just uh, uh, you know, figuring figure out how our weird-looking code works and then fix it is a bit intimidating, and it's it's not necessarily a, a known solution to make that work for everyone. So, um,
0: working with distributed teams, I've done a bit of that across continents and time zones and things like that. So. Uh, under the category of the people problems, I guess. uh, You know, what what have you learned along the way?
1: Hmm. People are very useful, and sometimes they... do very silly things. Um... Obviously, in in any sort of uh, situation where you're working with volunteers, uh, you have to struggle with uh, motivation and uh, team interaction uh, issues because you can't force people to necessarily play nice. Um, For instance, we had a problem a few months ago with uh, a couple of people had a personality clash and one guy just up and left. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he had been doing a lot of really useful work, and then that work wasn't getting done, which was unfortunate. So, you know, how, how can you discipline someone who doesn't work for you and can leave at any time? It's it's very tricky. And, so uh, how do you do that? Uh, I guess mostly I've learned that I, I haven't solved that problem
0: yet. Okay. Okay. All right. And... um uh, if you were to start all over again, would you do
1: anything differently? I would probably have used Python. Really? Uh, <laughs> PHP drives me mad. There, are, there are convenient things about it, but it just ooh, there are so many annoying things about it. Okay. So Go yeah, on. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna you know I can see the <laughs> smiles on people's
0: faces as they hear you say that. So the I guess the object-oriented uh, features of Python, or uh, what is it that what is it that you like, and what is it that you would have uh, liked to
1: have used used with uh, Python? Mm. Well, part of the the annoying parts about uh, PHP are actually just little annoyances where uh, common code patterns get really ugly mm-hmm. uh, when you're working with arrays and function callbacks and uh, anything that's programmatically defined, working with plugins, uh, things of that sort, are simply more convenient with Python where you have a system of modules with namespaces, you have some functional programming techniques built in, it's much easier to work with uh, arrays and uh, indirect function pointers and things of that sort. Uh, Excellent. And, and you can do some of that stuff in PHP, but it's incredibly ugly. And then there's other things that you really can't do, but you can work around it. Uh, and then the other part next to that uh, is that PHP is very much centered on its web execution model, where you, uh, you pop into a request and you run th- some things and then all the memory is released. That works very well insofar as it goes, but we, uh, in addition to serving things directly to the web, we have a lot of uh, maintenance processes, uh, batch processes, etc., and those might run for days at a time for certain extreme things. And with PHP, we're very limited in what we can do. We have no threading. Uh, we Uh, can't reload modules if they change, uh, things of that sort, where if we were working in a little more flexible general purpose language, that would be awfully more convenient. You could have a multi-threaded program that runs certain things uh, at the same time, where you basically just don't have that option with PHP. So additional flexibility in uh, execution models uh, would be very nice. Also, Python has built-in Unicode support, which would be oh so convenient. We had to uh, write a couple of Unicode modules of our own for um, for working in PHP because PHP just has no, or virtually no, uh, Unicode support, and we're working with all this Unicode text. Uh, and that that actually is coming in in PHP 6, so we'll see uh, if that solves some of our woes or if it's just so scary that everything blows up. But we're certainly looking forward to trying it.
0: Now, one thing I, I really wanted to ask you about was Web 2.0, and your perception of uh, I guess you know you guys really personify Web 2.0 <laughs> because here you are. You're a website that that, that grows over time through community involvement, uh, through metadata. Um, uh, what about your API? I meant to ask you about that. What you know, how how would you guys feel about somebody? You know, sucking all of your data off of uh, Wikipedia and
1: using it for something else? Do you encourage that, etc.? Uh, well, the good news is uh, Wikipedia very much encourages uh, sucking all our data and reusing it. That actually is one of the fundamental goals of what the project is about. Uh, it's uh, an open content, open source, uh, hippy-dippy, wonderful love fest And uh, we we actually make uh, uh, dumped copies of our database available for download. You can go to Uh, download.wikimedia.org and grab a copy of uh, Wikipedia or any of our other projects in whichever language you want and do whatever you feel like with a whole lot of text. but in addition to that bash processing, we also are working on uh, making it easier to get at uh, both the, the data of the text and pages and the metadata of linking and categorization tags and uh, edit histories and all that uh, between articles as well as within articles, uh, making that available programmatically. Uh, and we have a couple of people uh, who have been working on making a relatively sane uh, machine readable API for that, um, which is still very much a work in progress, but it's, it's there and there's a lot of stuff that you can already do. So it's definitely something that we're, you know, two thumbs up, all in favor of and okay. trying to make happen. You see some design patterns evolving from that? Uh, well, a. Significant use of the API actually is uh, for improving Wikipedia itself. Um, In combination with the uh, user JavaScript that uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, people who are power users can add cool new features directly to Wikipedia um, by using this API to grab meta information out of the database and then display it. In uh, some useful interactive way using the the wonderful magic of Ajax. Ah. Um, so you know you, we are, are buzzword compliant, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that was that
0: was my next question. That was my next question. Do you, do, you know, do you guys feel compelled to um, to to use Ajax and uh, and some of the new fantastic libraries that are out there? And um, and what about brys- browser compatibility? <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: Ajax is best used in small doses. Uh, we have actually a few little bits here and there um, already integrated. Uh, for instance, if you go to a, a category description page on Wikipedia, um, in the old days you used to just have a list of other categories that are marked as related to this category. And now that list has a you know little plus button and you click it and then it adds a little drop down of categories in that category, and it's, it's wonderful Ajaxy goodness. And uh, you know, it, it's a, a little additional tool that's useful, but not necessarily vital. And at least in theory, it degrades um, gracefully in that uh, if your browser doesn't support it, then you just don't have to worry about it. So that's primarily the kind of place where we like to see Ajax is in little extras that just make things a little bit easier to work with yeah I like whereas that. Uh, the the main functionality of the site which is going in uh, looking at pages searching editing pages all that you can do with no JavaScript whatsoever as long as your uh, web browser supports uh, you know, king images and virtual host names then and you know it doesn't screw up the CSS too bad that things are unreadable, then you can use Wikipedia. So if you have Netscape two, you know, so sorry, it it doesn't work on the modern internet. But if you're using Netscape four, you can actually, I think, still read Wikipedia. Excellent. Hopefully. I think some pages probably look like crap, but uh, but you can still actually use the site in a uh, limited browser, in text-based browsers, in cell phone browsers, in whatever. As long as it speaks HTML, it probably works. And that's the kind of compatibility that we tried very hard to maintain. And maybe we occasionally screw up, but it mostly works.
0: Well, you know, we've covered a lot of ground here, and um, we're, we're right at the one-hour mark, so sure. uh, it might be a good time to, um, to call this episode quits, although I i uh would love to talk to you again and continue yeah. um, you know along a few of these uh uh segues that we've taken but um any any uh closing comments for this this initial uh this initial talk oh uh, hey, thank you thank <laughs> yous accolades thank you Jim Wales for bringing this to us yes. uh, thank you to the team and
1: uh, thank you to something Yada to that effect thing. Yeah, th- thank you to everyone uh, actually who has donated to Wikipedia and uh, over the years and kept our site running uh, we are a non-profit uh, corporation uh, and the site is entirely run based on uh, the contributions of people in the public who donate, uh, their hard-earned dollars to support a project that they think is pretty neat. And, uh, that is a, obviously, hugely, hugely helpful thing to us to, uh, continue to provide a cool website with, uh, no annoying pop-up bad or whatever of that sort that, uh, so many sites, unfortunately, eventually fall into. So, uh, keep it up because uh, we certainly want to be able to pro continue providing that.
0: Now, you mentioned that you might uh, use some help, uh, the testers and that sort of thing. <laughs> if people want to get in touch with you or the
1: powers that be, um, how, how should they do that? Uh, well, you can subscribe to the uh, MediaWikiL or WikitechL mailing lists on mail.wikipedia.org. Okay. Or uh, you can just come chat with us on IRC. We're on uh, irc.freenode.net, uh, which is a very popular uh, IRC network for open source projects. Uh, and we're uh, we're always there. We have actually an absurd number of channels for every individual project. Uh, but you can come hang out with us in the MediaWiki channel. Um Give a chat and, you know, if you want to develop, we do that stuff. So come on by. Excellent.
0: Well, listen, thank you very, very much. This has been very enjoyable for me. I'm sure the uh, listening audience out there uh, will enjoy it too. And um, I look forward to talking with you again, Brian. Thank you. Okay. Well, this has been Mike Levin and Brian Vibber. Swampcast uh, discusses the software architecture of Wikipedia and thank you for listening. If you have any uh, questions, comments, concerns, etc., you can send me an email at mike at swampcast.com And we will see you again soon.